Thanks for listening to this episode of The Narrative. Before we get started, if you've got a question or a comment for a future episode that you'd like us to address, feel free to give us a call or text us at 614-769-7077. Again, that number is 614-769-7077. Or you can send us an email, thenarrative at ccv.org. And the fact that you see Stanford and other universities changing their language requirements, the CDC changing language requirements. Uh, that to me is, is scary. Yeah. And it, and, and like you said earlier, you referenced, like if you really, if you tell people to stop and shut up, they're going to only yell louder. It makes me want to go out and scream this terminology louder in the streets, just to make me <laughs> you know, make a mad, you know, you said, yeah. I can't say what, you know, I, I'm sorry. This is America. I can use whatever words I want to use. Unpacking the toughest issues of the day. This is the narrative. I'm Center for Christian Virtue Communications Director Mike Andrews, joined by CCV President Aaron Bear and our Policy Director David Mahan. Fellas, we're already confusing people. That's this right. is this is a new voice. It's a new year. It's a new format, and it's a true honor to be here to join you guys and participate in some really great discussions about the current issues of the day. And there's already been a lot going on here in 2023, uh, just across the street. If you want to talk about leadership transitions, uh, Dave, from Dave, we'll, the podcast too. Well, we'll let, let, I, I want to hear Dave describe this one because we we have like uh, unpre- unprecedented chaos uh, in yeah. Ohio politics right now with the speaker's race. And uh, yeah, I spent the day in um, in the swamp in D.C. and then I thought, wow, it's good to be out of there. And then I get off the plane in another swamp um, here in Columbus, but. It, it was something to see. Uh, a lot well, of explain folks. what happened first, like the 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 because la- last time we did this, I think it was right after Derek Marin won yeah. the caucus vote to be. And so we were it's talking about we were talking about the great thing. Yeah, you know, we we the, the guy that won speaker was gonna, you know, he committed to pass backpack and and the Safe Act and all these big bills, and, yeah. and now he's not speaker. <laughs> he had about forty five members. Um, well, before that, okay, so you got Derek Marin as the speaker. He's the most conservative of the bunch, and not just him, but the. The people that lined up behind him were, were very conservative. Many of them championed our bills, uh, Backpack, Safe Act, Save Women Sports. So it wasn't just about the personality of Derek Marin. It was, it was who kind of back, you know, backed him up and what they stood for. Uh, well, then, you know, that was all well and good. And then I guess apparently as soon as that happened, um, you know, you had a unanimous vote to, to make him speaker. And then amongst the caucus. Amongst the caucus, caucus yeah. right. But now it goes from the caucus vote to the floor. You know, of the House and, and somewhere between the caucus vote and the floor of the House, uh, there was a coup that was planned. I guess we'll just call it that uh, with the Stevens uh, camp, Jason Stevens, and apparently made a deal with the Democrats. Right. Because you only had 22 out of 67 Republicans. And so how do you have a coup without, you know, with a minority? You got to go to uh, the Democrats. And he somehow made some deals. You no. Know, you know, we've got ideas of what they may be. We may talk about those a little bit. But somehow he got 32, 100 percent, Mike, of all the Democrats yeah. to put him in to get him 54 votes over Stevens, 43. There was two there Republicans. Yeah. Marin. Uh, there was two that weren't there. And, and the, the thing that's really got folks messed up I and mean, you got your policy wonk stuff that we're talking about, you know, lies and this type of thing. But folks want to know how in the world are the last two out of three speakers selected by Democrats. Think about that. The last two out of three speakers, Republicans, the most powerful position in the House, 
selected by Democrats. Right. Where, where you have super majorities of Republicans right. in, in both chambers. Uh, and and uh, you know, I keep saying nobody snatches uh, uh, defeat from the jaws of uh, victory like like Republicans do. And, you know, the, the, the baseline on this situation here is, uh, and this is what we just keep driving home, was what was the cost of power for Jason Stevens? Right. Right. What what was because, you know, CCV has very rarely gotten involved in speakers races to -hmm. to the extent we did this time around. And we did so expressly to get the backpack bill done. Right. That was why we leaned in so heavily um, on encouraging elected officials to vote for for Derek Maron for for speaker. Um, And uh, because he had made a commitment. But. If you really step back and you look at Derek Marin and Jason Stevens' voting record, they actually have pretty similar voting records. Like J- Jason has has been a friend; he's he's voted well uh, on on most issues. And so, when you see thirty two, let, let's even just take party labels off for a second. When you see thirty two members of the Ohio State House that are very liberal, very progressive, and they're looking at, do I vote for? You know, do I help Jason Stevens become speaker or do I help Derek Maron become speaker? Uh, or do I just vote against both of them? And you see them cut a deal to unanimously vote for Jason Stevens. And even, you know, Alison Russo, the, the, the minority leader of the Democratic Party in the House, you know, she ends up holding the Bible for Jason Stevens as he's, mm-hmm. he's sworn in. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, what... Why would these 32 very liberal, very progressive members all of a sudden decide Jason is better than Derek? Um, and, and that's like, we, uh, we're all adults, right? We, 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 we understand what politics is. We understand the, 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 the nastiness and the ugliness of it. And we understand the realism of it, mm-hmm. right? And 32 very liberal members don't decide just to vote for Jason Stevens right. because they think he's a nice guy. Right there, there, obviously something was promised. Obvious, and, and what was it? And that—that's the thing that what what the media has out there um, is it was the backpack bill, right? Trading away the backpack bill, saying mm-hmm. they're not going. Now, now I will tell you, I mean, even as early as just this morning, I was getting calls from some of those twenty-two members that voted for Jason Stevens saying, "No, no, no we didn't trade away the backpack bill," or um, you know the 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 other big one that we'll circle back and talk about, which is the the sixty percent threshold to amend the constitution, um, which is so important to protecting the the heartbeat bill and keeping drugs and all those other types of the Marxist policies out of the state. Um, like, you know, the the rumors are those things were traded away safe for this fact. safe act. Um, we just we don't know because they they they're they're not saying that the Democrat obviously they're 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 playing coy. Um, and, and it is the, from CCV's perspective on this, Mike, like what we just keep coming back to and what I keep talking to everyone about is what were you sent down here for? Were you sent down here to get power, to get a gavel, uh, or were you sent down here to yep. do issues? Because if it's about the issues, then you recognize how dangerous what just happened was. I think it was about the issues. I mean, the members were saying it was about the issues, you know, with, with well, the policies. Well, for the Democrats, it was about the issues. Yeah. I think for the Republicans, this looks like it was about the power. Right. right. For, for, for sure. the for Stevens camp, it was definitely about the power. It was about the power. But but I was encouraged by the 43, yes. right, the, the Marin camp, that yeah. they were talking about um, the issues. And, and, and the narrative the next day from the media, right, so Dispatch, Cleveland.com, 
you know, was was all in the same thing, that the Democrats were excited that um, that they would have a more moderate view of education, especially public education funding, blah, blah, blah. But the word that they kept, you know, putting out there was unity. Right. What is so wrong with, you know, unifying together bipartisan, you know, pick for the speaker? And the question we have to ask is, what did they unify to do? What policies did they unify to either support, champion or kill? Right. And uh, and those policies affect real people. And Marin's camp had the, the you know, as far as I was concerned, they had he had the folks that really cared about the people and the policies that we uh, so deeply uh, care about as well as as well as you. So for us, and again, I you know I, I speak only for myself. I could care less about any one person. Yeah, I don't you care know, who has the gavel. It's it's yeah. we're down here to to help people, children, families, and what deal was cut to either support or come against those children and families. Yeah, that's that's a great point, David. Because I think what you're hearing, it's kind of the whack-a-mole argument. It keeps popping back up is that idea of unity or bipartisanship like this. Yes, it is a goal of the legislature, but at the same time, if we're not seeing um, those big issues that you can rally around that people can get behind on both sides of the aisle, then what is this for? And and if it's actually going to derail progress or derail the opportunity for real people to get real help, that's a problem. Even on the Republican side, you know, supermajority, right? So we had a supermajority last GA, right? And so what did that get us? What did the red wave get us in 21 and 22? You know, the, the other thing about this too, though, because I was talking to a reporter yesterday and and she asked me, well, isn't bipartisanship a good thing? Um, and and it it reminded me of a uh, of a a, an article my wife wrote for um, a website called American Greatness a few years ago, or not a few years, a few months ago, uh, where she said, you know, diversity is not a value. It's a unit of measurement, right? Bipartisanship is not a value in and of itself. It's it's a unit of, of measurement. It's a way of saying that two people, you know, people from two different parties voted together. That that in and of itself is is meaningless uh, about what they're uniting over, mm-hmm. right? We're, we are... We're, we're, we're uniting over, uh, are we uniting over things that help kids, that help families? Or are we uniting over stopping things that help kids and help families, right? And that, that's, the, that's the, the fundamental question here. Like, and, and even, too, this is where you, we, we got to get away from slogan politics, right? This is like the, the whole thing, oh, well, we, wanna, we want the parties to work together and all that. Well, if one party is supporting child sterilization, right. I don't want to work with them. Right. Like I'll work with individual people, no matter whether they have an R or D. I mean, this is the way CCV works. You can have an R or D or an X, Y, Z, whatever, after your name. And, and, and if you care about helping, you know, families choose the best school for them or, right. or saving right. unborn children, whatever. But but this was one of those things where and, and it's, it's the thing we have just been driving home, with, even after the fact, even after all this has gone on. And, and there's there's still, you know, there's been so many developments, even even just today. today and there will yeah. be will continue to be is. You know, keep things focused on issues, right? Because ultimately, for these these twenty two that that you know broke their commitment to the caucus, um, and again, what what is a caucus? A caucus is a group of people that are united about issues, mm-hmm. right? That that's 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 what parties are. Parties are a group of people united about issues, right? And and so for these twenty two that are so adamant that they didn't trade things away in order to get power. 
it's going to be really easy for for that to come clear because you know they've got to pass this this sixty percent threshold by the end of the month in order for us to, in order for it to be meaningful to protect life uh, and protect uh, protect the state constitution um, and from uh, and you know again we we got a, the the budget coming up that has to be done by the yep. end of June yep. and we'll find out really quickly are they going to put the backpack bill in there right um, but that it, we we have to keep our focus on issues yeah and the issues are a great jumping off point for the next leg of this discussion. And that's, we've talked about 60%. We talked about backpack. We've talked about safe act. What does the speaker's race in this election mean for those issues that we've spent so much time on David? I know you've spent a lot of time over at the state house testifying on behalf of these issues. Yeah. So where are we? It's muddy, Mike. It's, it's so muddy. Like you, you think, you know, you've got both sides now, um, I mean, one guy, you know, that went with the uh, Stevens camp said that uh, Stevens was going to be, what do you say, a Mack truck of conservatism. Um, this guy got $8,500 from the Ohio Education Association, right? The, the Speaker Pro Tem got a couple grand from the Ohio. That's the most liberal lobbyist group across the street. Um, you know, that's I, teachers unions for, for short. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's so I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's a toss up. You know, I'm hearing I'm hearing from members that they're trying to bring, you know, you know, everybody together. Uh, but we just we just came from over there. There was about 37, 38 members uh, caucusing. Um, and uh, so we have a divided we've, we've kind of got a divided party right now. Um, and, and I think it's a toss up. Yeah, I, I think what's what's important from from our perspective, Mike, is that. You know, at the end of the day, you know, it takes 50 votes in the House to pass a bill. It takes 17 votes in the Senate to pass a bill. Um, there's more than 50 votes in the House to pass the backpack bill. There's more than 17 votes in the Senate to pass the backpack bill. Mike DeWine uh, has said he's supportive of, uh, of this uh, of this concept. Um, you know, everything is there to do it. the The question is, um, is this going to be about policy? Or is this going to be about politics? Um, and and these people were sent here to do a job. Um, and, and again, the you take the sixty percent threshold. You know, right now, uh, you only need fifty percent of the vote in Ohio to amend our state constitution. Um, and basically, what that has meant is that our constitution is up for sale. Because anybody, like we've seen this, some folks might remember back in twenty eighteen, issue one, uh, where uh, you know. Tens of uh, you know, sixteen, I think it was sixteen million dollars, uh, poured into the state to buy buy signatures uh, to put an amendment on the state constitution to uh, allow for to, to decriminalize drug possession. Right, uh, that's what this is. What Planned Parenthood is doing right now is they're they're going out and all they have to do is pay enough signature gatherers to put uh, abortion on the uh, a, a constitutional amendment to require legalized abortion, and then the heartbeat bill is repealed forever. Right, it'll be so difficult to ever be able to get the heartbeat bill back in place, um, because all they need is fifty percent to amend our state constitution, which can only be amended by a vote of the uh, a vote of the voters. And so, what our view is is, you know, you can pass a law with fifty percent of the vote. We have initiated statute that does that. You can pass laws, but laws can be amended by the the general assembly, the people right, that we elect right. to do this. Right? If you're going to change our founding document in the state, there should be a higher standard. That's the way things are with. Uh, with the federal constitution, that's the way it should be with the state constitution. Um, and there's so many reasons why we want to do this. It's not just about abortion. It's not just about drugs. It's about minimum wage, right? It's about tax increases, right? That they, that Arizona's constitution is the same way. Um, and 
you know they've lost they've lost a number of uh, businesses through the uh, over the last few years because they you know the, the Marxist groups put a tax increase on corporations on there and it just it it was bad for business right um, and Ohio is actually in the minority we're one of only about eighteen states uh, that allows voters to uh, amend the constitution by a const- uh, via ballot initiative. Um, and we voters would still be able to do that. We're just saying you need 60%, which you can't, I mean, you look at the last few uh, constitutional amendments, they've gotten over 60%. It's doable, but it's just, it should be rightfully difficult. Sure, sure. Well, as we get set to wrap up here, the, the first segment of our show today, I uh, wanted to give an opportunity, Aaron, to talk about uh, a friend that we lost recently on, on Christmas Eve, the Vice President and the Board Directors, um, Tom Minnery, who was yeah. very foundational to the organization and so many organizations like ours throughout the country, uh, and just wanted to give an opportunity to acknowledge how much he meant to CCV and also talk a little bit about his life and legacy. Yeah, uh, th- this is still a, a, a rough one, uh, Mike, to, to talk about. And, um, you know, there there is not a family in America today that um, was not blessed uh, by the work of Tom Minery. Um, I will tell you that the, the the course of our nation was altered by this man uh, because you know he he spent 25 years as the vice president of Focus on the Family. Um, he was him and Dr. Dobson were the the driving force bef- behind what's called the Family Policy Council movement, of which CCV um, calls itself uh, counts itself amongst. Um, you know, he he was meant defending freedom. Yeah, Alliance. He, he was a the a founding board member of Alliance Defending Freedom. Uh, you know, uh, I, I I think a lot of um, especially in the evangelical world. You know, some of you guys might remember uh, or might have seen the movie uh, Ocean's Twelve uh, from the Ocean's Eleven franchise. And there was always the joke of, uh, in the one mo- in, in in that movie about how hey we were guys that shook Frank Sinatra uh, Frank Sinatra's hand. Um, you know, Tom Minery was a guy that shook Billy Graham's hand, right? Mm-hmm. He, he was mentored by Billy Graham uh, in the when he was the uh, when Tom was the news director at Christianity Today, news editor rather. I mean, he, just an unbelievable life that um, it, it's hard to recap. But he also was a, a mentor of mine and a, a dear friend. Um, you know, I in our our piece about him, I got to to write about how he changed my life um, and the impact that he had um, and. Uh, you know, it, it's it's hard to quantify. Uh, I know for a lot of folks who want to um, you know, memorialize him or celebrate his life, um, there's going to be a memorial on February 4th. You can just Google his name and you'll find the obituary. Um, and uh, uh, it's going to be over at Rock City and Hilliard um, on, on that Saturday. So um, a, a massive loss, um, somebody that, that deserves all the, the honor uh, and praise that we can give. Um, and also... Um, a hole we're going to be feeling for for a long time, but also uh, somebody that is a cha- his book "Why You Can't Stay Silent." I just reread it. It was it was the book that changed. I, I wrote this in our piece afterwards. Changed my life. Changed. It. I'm not doing this work if it's not for Tom Minery. Um, and uh, uh, it, that book still holds up today. So if you're wondering why, uh, you know why, and if you want to honor Tom's legacy, read that book and then get engaged um, in in this cultural uh, work or this political work and and. Uh, it, it really is a call to all of us. And after this break, we'll have a special conversation with sportscaster turned political and cultural commentator Michelle Tafoya. We'll be right back on The Narrative. Christian business owners today face more unique and challenging threats than ever before. As corporate America and chambers of commerce fall prey to woke capitalism, 
Christians in the marketplace need an advocate to protect their First Amendment freedoms. As Ohio's only Christian Chamber of Commerce, the Christian Business Partnership stands in the gap to advocate for, to educate, and to celebrate Christian business owners. Joining the partnership also allows businesses to provide their employees with health care insurance, workers' compensation, and exclusive banking and educational discounts. To find out more and to join, go to ccv.org cbp. That's ccv.org cbp. And we're back on the narrative. We're joined today by Michelle Tafoya, who's a former American sportscaster from 2011 to 2022. She was a reporter for NBC Sports, primarily a sideline reporter for NBC Sunday Night Football. Uh, Today, she's hosting the Sideline Sanity podcast and makes television appearances on talk shows discussing the state of American politics and culture. Michelle, thank you so much for the time today. It's great to be talking with you. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate the invitation. Well, we're in that season where... Football playoffs are getting ready to start. It's almost Super Bowl time. That's where a lot of people know you from, from your time on the sidelines covering the NFL. Tell us about how you made the transition away from the sideline to to what you're doing today with your podcast and other things like that. I guess I had some sort of awakening on 9-11 in 2001 about how much I really love this country. I I was raised to love it. My dad was an immigrant. Um, I mean, most families are at one point, but he he was a first-generation college grad, the only one in his family of 11 kids to graduate college, and he raised us to believe in the greatness of America, and and so I always have, but 9-11 sort of triggered a new appreciation for an understanding of what America means to the world, and, you know, I was still in my career, loved my career, just married, yada, yada, But about 2000, I think it was probably a a year or two into the Trump presidency, um, I thought things were getting kind of crazy, like the the discussions and the sides and the polarization was getting uncomfortable for me and and looking a little a little scary. I, I don't like to use that word, but it was. And so in 2018, I actually gave my notice to Sunday Night Football, I said, hey, 2019 is going to be my last season. I want to go do a podcast or something, speak in in the in this arena and for I won't bore you with the details, but the, 2019 went into 2020, went into 2021. And so I, you know, get us through that Super Bowl after the 2021 season. And we'll, we really appreciate it. So I did. And I'm glad that I did. But I'm also glad now to. And the reason that I needed to separate myself was, look, Sunday Night Football is the number one show on television. It was for 11 straight years, probably will be for 12 straight years. And it was NBC's crown jewel. And the last thing they wanted was anyone on their broadcast to court any kind of controversy in the public sphere. And I respected that. And I didn't feel hand-tied and they never told me no. They just said, could you, would you, would you mind? You know, you're part of this team. And I appreciated that. And I had signed up for that. And I respected that. And so I was willing to do that and just say, I can wait. Um, so, but the minute I walked off the sidelines after that, that last Super Bowl, when the Rams beat Cincinnati, my life started anew and I, I just needed to be part of the conversation. So Michelle, those are two interesting landmarks sort of historically, especially if you, if you look at them in, in, in the light of the NFL, where you had, you know, 2001 after nine 11, where I, you know, I still have the, the memories in my head. Was, was it junior say or, or, or Ray, like the, all those the, the, you know, the linebackers running on the field with the American flags yeah. and, and just being, you know, such patriotism cutting across the country and really being, you know, embodied in the NFL to, you know, 
the 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 last few years where you saw folks kneeling for the anthem and you saw you know really a, an anti-american sentiment uh going through and and again sometimes over real controversies right and and real terrible things that happened in our country but but making sweeping statements about our country yeah. that just weren't weren't true what was the the experience on on the inside for just for the the day-to-day folks there was that was there real pressure to to go along with it or or real pressure to uh to to say things about the country that you wouldn't believe in or, or things like that I, I'd say on Sunday Night Football, I can only speak for us. We, our goal was just to document everything. Yeah. And so, th- I mean, that's what journalism is. You're documenting reality. And <laughs> hopefully not everyone practices journalism that way, but we tried to. And so if people were kneeling during the anthem and we were covering the anthem, we felt we needed to show who was kneeling. Um, and, and, you know, I, I don't think the NFL handled all of that as well as it should have, frankly. Let people express themselves. I'm a big free speech, almost absolutist. And so if Colin Kaepernick or anybody else wanted to kneel during the anthem, that is their right. That is an American right that we treasure, freedom of expression, freedom of speech. To suddenly have this knee-jerk reaction like, oh, we got to make rules about this, I think was, didn't, they didn't go into the next level thinking, well, what will our rules how will those affect the minds of the players? How will they affect the fans? I think the reaction was too knee-jerk, if that's that's the best way I can put it. And had they just let things kind of happen organically, I think the players would have had these conversations, which they did among themselves in the locker rooms about how they were feeling about all this. And some of it resulted in some really beautiful results. The best example I, I recall was Derek Carr, still with the Raiders then, Khalil Mack, still with the Raiders then, Car obviously white, Mac obviously black, and felt like he wanted to kneel. They're best friends. There, when we did our production meetings with the Raiders, those two came in together, and it was so much fun to watch them and listen to them. And so during the anthem, Khalil would kneel, and Derek Carr stood next to him with his hand over his heart and his left hand on on Khalil's shoulder, and it was exemplary of I stand by your right to express yourself, but I also stand for the flag. And to me, there was no, there was no better example of how these players and teams were working it out for themselves. So we weren't told any way to look at this. I, I'll tell you, we we all felt it in the ratings. You know, the, the ratings started to suffer. This is the number one show uh, sport in America, and the ratings started to suffer because so many people were looking at this and saying, you know. Why is this going on? Why are these players doing it? They live this unbelievable life. They're getting paid to play, a, you know, a kid's sport, and they're disrespecting our country. So I I understood both sides of this. And again, um, we just tried to document everything as best we could. Yeah, it, it's funny. Uh, it, it, talking about the, the free speech angle of this reminds me of something we deal with all the time here where, you know, we, we're, we're uh, most school boards or city councils in Ohio open with prayer. Uh, and inevitably, uh, sometime around some Satanist group or some, you know, really it's typically an atheist, but it's a Satanist group says, hey, we want to come and and do a prayer. If, if you're going to allow Christians to do prayers, we want to come do prayers. And we get calls from these city council members that are saying, oh, how do we stop them? I'm like, no, don't stop them. Just yeah. let them do their thing. They're going to make their show. They're going to make when you try to stop them, you're actually going to make it bigger. You're going to blow yeah. it up. And ultimately, <laughs> exactly what well, you're going to kind of give them what they want, which is 
the the council is going to ultimately say we're going to have no prayer now. Uh, right. And, right. And and, and it, it's it's like, guys, just let them make their point and then yes. move on and feel yes. confident in 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 your argument. That's I, exactly right. I, I want to ask. I want to talk about the sort of the corporate aspect of this because this is a, a something we're we're dealing with a lot right now on the state level and the national level is is sort of the wokeness of corporate America. And the question a lot of times we we deal with, and I, I'd be interested in your perspective on this, is do you feel like a lot of the the big wigs, the 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 CEOs, the corporate the the the, the, the corporate executives are are they true believers in a lot of this woke ideology, or do do they think this is good business, or are they just afraid of everything? What's your mindset of what's driving this at the? Obviously, there's there's the the core Marxist and communist, you know, whatever, however we want to buy. Like there's there's right. the true believers out there. But it's just fascinating watching these massive corporations get bullied around and pushed around yeah. by to do things that, like to your point that are against their own financial interests. So wh what do you feel like is really driving the, the the top level folks that are making these decisions? Well, I think it's a combination thereof. I'm not sure there are true believers in the CEO, in the C-suites of corporate America. There might be, but I do think they are cowed into a lot of these positions. And initially they probably think, we're better off if we just go along to get along. We won't have the protests outside. We'll we'll seem, you know, sensitive and open-minded and all the rest. Until then, it becomes, oh, look at what's happening to our stock price or whatever it is, or our, you know, our our sales. And then I think they have to rethink it, but I think it is so ingrained in the management levels and in the cultures of these companies. Um this, you know, all the diversity, equity, and inclusion is this new, it's this new official position within universities, within corporations, wherever it is. And I'm not even sure that everyone knows what it totally means <laughs> or cares. It just sounds good, right? Diversity, equity, and inclusion, doesn't it? It sounds beautiful. Yeah. But in, there's so little second level thinking, third level thinking, um, really anywhere today it's it's like you say you know let's ban gas stoves well okay what are the offshoots of that or solar power is great go solar power that's great but have you thought about where solar panels are made who makes them are they disposable what do we do with them after they're non-functioning right. are, are, are they just trash after that what can they be read does anyone go deeper it just seems like we're all really ready to appease all the good virtue signaling, or as someone put it to me today, virtue farting that is out there. <laughs> um, you know, are we just in that mode of let's make everyone feel happy? And and I would argue that really people are more miserable today than than they have been because everyone's walking on eggshells. Michelle, I'm really intrigued by uh, anybody from the sports entertainment world, arts entertainment world, sports world. That, um, like you said, I just feel like I need to help. Like this is, I've got an inside look at what's going on here, and and I got to get in the game. But then I, I think, wow, if anybody was ever in the game, if anybody ever had a platform, it was you, uh, especially in that in that arena of sports and and I guess you know arts and entertainment groups, you know, kind of blend with that. Why did you then see it necessary to break away to build a platform when you had such a, a great platform, and it seemed like you had you know, wasn't too, uh, too aggressive for you in that area? Why did you see it necessary to break off? 
I saw it necessary to break off because the company, for, for instance, um, didn't want me to go on certain shows. Okay. It was only in my last, you know, I when Gutfeld was first starting his show on, on Fox, Greg Gutfeld, I was invited on and they said, yeah, no. We just, it's a little too edgy, too political, you know, sorry. Yeah. We prefer that you don't. And they never really said, if you do, you'll be fired. It wasn't like that. It wasn't this ultimatum. It was a strong suggestion that, you know, we'd really prefer you say no. That's right. not, we don't want to court that controversy. So in order to have my full voice, right. um, I guess my opinions didn't mesh with that of the, what what we wanted to present. And really, look, I give NBC Sports a lot of credit. Um, they let Bob Costas opine. They, they, you know, but I, but I look at NBC news and I'm really reluctant to give them credit. I, I think that MSNBC is what the most lopsided channel on television, maybe, but so I, I'm, you know, look, I just appreciated what they needed from me and what they expected from me as a role on the number one show on television. And so I, I felt like, you know, I, I just those these two things can't coexist. Now, I will say this. They also let me, you know, MC a Lincoln Reagan dinner, um, you know, things here in my home state of Minnesota where I wanted to go speak in front of a crowd or, you know, at, at a conservative leaning dinner or something. Just, yeah. you know, keep yep. it keep it chill. Um, don't go off the edge. And, I, and I'm, I'm not that controversial a person. So I didn't ever worry about myself putting them in in, in, a, in a bad light. But nationally, to go on national shows, that, that wasn't really in their game plan. Yeah, I, I think that resonates with a lot of folks, a lot of folks that I'm talking to. And, and, and you know, maybe not the platform that you have, but they just don't feel completely free. Yeah, you know, just just that simply. I mean, they, I can't say what I want to say. I, I, I feel guilty feeling the way I feel sometimes in this environment, whatever that environment might be, whether even a church these days or or the state house, or a party, um, or, or an NFL team. It's like, I, I just don't feel free, you right. know, in, in a nation that was built on freedom. And, that's, and I've, I've heard you speak on that as well. And, and that's, 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 that's the part that's, that bothers me and worries me the most. That's an incredibly slippery slope. Right. You know, and the fact that you see Stanford and other universities changing their language requirements, the CDC changing language requirements uh that to me is is scary yeah. and it and and like y- you said earlier you reference like if you really if you tell people to stop and shut up they're gonna only yell louder it makes me want to go out and scream this terminology louder in the streets just to make me <laughs> you know, make them mad you know you yeah. said i can't say what you know I, i'm sorry this is america i can use whatever words i want to use and we we have seen with the Twitter files, how, how the government has gotten involved and certainly academia has been massively responsible for this stuff. So yeah. And, and this cancel culture, and I know I'm rambling a little bit here, but that it has a lot of people terrified. People have said to me, you know, in person where no one could hear, God, I really love that post you put up. <laughs> I, I can't repost it. I can't do it. I'm like, why? Yeah. Cause I, I just, I'm going to get so much backlash. That is not where we should be. Yeah. Michelle, I'm, I'm curious uh, if you could maybe shed a little bit of light into the uh, 
NFL side of this, like you're in production meetings with players throughout the year and with the length of career that you had, certainly you got to know some of these, these players uh, on a more personal level. Was there any, any of this coming from them, them saying, I don't feel like I'm free to speak my mind or to believe what, what I, to say what I believe on this issue, because there's this overarching narrative that the NFL is kind of following on some of these hot button topics. Well, I think probably the example that just jumped to mind when you said that um, in our meetings, we, we, we didn't really get too political in our meetings, although there were a lot of really well-intended, good-hearted, intelligent players who said, you know what, I'm going to go do a ride along with the police in Philadelphia because I want to see what they're really up against. And because I've spoken out against police brutality, I, I, I want to help develop better relationships with police, see what they're doing. I applauded. I thought that was great. And and during probably the 2016, 17, 18, even 19 seasons, we had a lot of discussions about those things. 2020 just really turned because COVID became everything. But, you know, during the Trump administration, certainly. And, um, you, you know, I remember Kirk Cousins at the time, now the quarterback for the Vikings, was playing for Washington. And we were there. And I, I in the postgame after they won, I said, Kirk, you know, if you could say anything to the president about the way that our discourse is going, what would it be? And, you know, because it was right after Trump had criticized the kneeling on the field and he he was very just, hey, why can't we just support and love one another? And, you know, where this division is really awful. And he was public about it and he wasn't afraid. However, the, the example that comes to mind is when Drew Brees was asked about the kneeling for the anthem. And he said, I just don't understand it. I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, yeah. I don't understand it. You know, my grandfather fought in the war. I would always stand for the flag and I don't understand. And he got pummeled even by his own teammates publicly. They came out like, Drew, what are you saying? Drew, you can't be this, you know, they handled it internally in their locker room. But I think that that was an example of Drew saying how, what he believed and it just got attacked. And, um, you know, so, yeah, I think that that set the stage that anyone who felt like Drew might have felt or, or or anything similar probably wasn't going to be real vocal about it. Yeah. Well, and it goes back to you can't even ask the question, like even if there's a legitimate intent there in what Drew Brees was saying, we're in this space where you can't you can't bring up something that seems like an obvious question and have the debate. And to your point that you made earlier, that's very concerning that we're not bringing these ideas into the public square. There's like no room for discussion, civil discussion. It's just name calling and yelling and shouting people down and, and blowing horns when someone's trying to speak. It's awful. This is yeah. it's awful. Um, and I, this is what I so <laughs> this is why I called my my podcast Sideline Sanity, because it feels insane to me it feels like we're in a we're upside down and yeah. i i would it, it 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 not being able to ask questions and certainly i think that was really pronounced during the covid years i'll say 2020 2021 and even still to a certain extent last year uh what about this if anyone right. even brought up that damar hamlin you know might have gotten vaccinated which might have led to his heart reaction the other day if you even questioned it you were just called a conspiracy theorist, and that was the kindest thing you were called. Right. I mean, to not even be, be able to ask that question. I mean, I, you know, uh, could we have said, 
wow, maybe he never got vaccinated. And that's why this happened. That would have been more more acceptable than to say maybe he got vaccinated. And that's why this either way, science, doctors, the medical profession should be curious to answer these questions and not to stick a political stake in the ground. Right. Yeah. Why? Why has a a peak athlete uh, at the at the height of his uh, physical ability just dropped with a, a heart attack? That's a a terrifying question. And um, and it's not. And it wasn't just limited to Demar. We know right. there have been many uh, occasions where this has Mal- happened. Multiple others. Michelle, that's a, that's kind of a good. You know, your 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 career is is you've been in really the highest levels of two industries. You know, kind of sports and journalism. And I think that the the COVID era. I mean, I've, this has been building up for a long time. Anybody who listened to Rush Limbaugh over the last twenty years has been hearing him talk about this. But really, COVID was the the peak example of of really the the distrust um, that a lot of folks feel towards the media. Yeah. Um, could you talk maybe a, a little bit about that? About what you saw from the media side of things, the shift you saw going on in media, and what what drove it? What what drove the 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 shift in media away from uh, questioning everything, questioning authority, questioning even just predominant narratives. True journalism, right? To, to true now, right? Exactly. To I mean, even, even what you just said about what, the the way you guys approached your, uh, you know, your broadcast and and your your interview sessions was was not to bring a political thing, just to tell the story of what's happening and document yeah. what's happening. What was the that 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 seems like the exception, not the rule in media uh, so much anymore? Where most of it we see this year anywhere from our our local media to to national media where it's yeah. we have a perspective and we want to prove that point what how did that shift happen where did you see that when when did you start seeing that shift happen uh, i saw it a, a a long time ago and it's one of those where i can't no this can't be real right they don't they can't be that biased can they can they really so there are many people who go way back to the 1920s to some marxist communist theories being brought over to the United States and this mastermind idea of how do we ruin the United States? Well, we do it by dividing them within, not attacking them from without. And there are examples of that in academia and so forth. But I have watched um, through my own experience in school and my now my kids growing up, how these are like mainstream academic thoughts that that are leaning very left. And um, all I can think of is that it it just, it really has permeated academics, which, you know, let's shape our journalists to talk this way. Let's shape Hollywood to talk this way. And it's sort of become cool and Um, anti-establishment. These are just, these are my hypotheses. I think the tipping point really was Trump. Mm-hmm. And the fact that when when Trump and COVID collided, the division in the country, you know, like 50 percent of the country was behind Trump, 50 percent hated, like actually just hated the man. Yeah. So that when COVID happened and this other person stepped into the fray named Dr. Fauci, who who people were willing to trust more than they trusted big bad Trump. And. This guy, whatever his motives were, became the singular voice, the singular voice on COVID that everyone decided we're going to trust him. He's sort of the anti-Trump. We're going to trust him. He is science. And he is he is science, right? <laughs> so then it became 
you don't question Fauci. Yeah. So if you said, well, what am I hearing about this? You ask a question. What am I hearing about hydroxychloroquine? What am I hearing about ivermectin? What? Why if are we just, closing schools? Why Why are we closing schools? I, I remember my sister uh, texted me and said, how do you feel? Do you want your kids in school? I'm like, hell yeah, I want my kids yeah. in school. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I do. And and when science was coming out, science, other science was coming out saying, we don't need kids out of school. Kids yeah. are not at risk. Oh, but the kids might then take it home to their grandparents. Well, maybe we should, if you feel that way, just mask them around their grandparents. Or, you know, mask both the grandparents and the kids, but it, it, you know, it could spread in the household. Just it, it, it seemed as though we just, there was only one voice to listen to. And by the way, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't understand how he wasn't questioned more when he said, no, 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 no. You don't need masks. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. You do need face coverings. Just a, you know what, even if you don't have a mask, just put a scarf around your face when you go out in public to you know what? Maybe you should be double masking. And I mean, and no one was thinking, why is he changing his tune? I had a friend, a smart friend of mine tell me, well, he said no masks in the first place because they didn't want to run on masks at, at tar Target and Walmart. <laughs> well, then what you say, you don't lie then. Right, right. You say, you say, you know what? What we want to do is preserve these for the people who are on the front lines. Here's what we recommend for everybody else. Put a scarf around your face. Yeah. But that's not what he did. He he either lied to us or he really did change his mind many times. So I, I that he became sort of this saint-like figure is is a mystery to me. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll say that we, we talked about this a lot because we were dealing, trying to keep schools open here because we were seeing the the learning loss uh, in, in Ohio, which is, is just devastating. I mean, we had... Columbus City School is the largest school district in the state, had a 74% chronic absentee rate uh, the, the year they closed schools. I mean, it, it's a generation lost. And from a historical standpoint, what we just keep going back to is the the COVID pandemic is uh, the, 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 the first time in our nation's history when we faced a crisis that we asked the children to protect the adults. Um, it, it really is a, a, a backwards way of kind of going about things and, 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 and managing these things. Um, Michelle, just a few other things for you here. You know, I guess for, for the, the, the all across uh, the, the country, there are, are Michelle Tafoya's uh, in different industries that are, are, you know, they, they, they're conservative there are, or maybe they're, they're just common sense folks that are, I would say that. Yeah. Right? Uh, and they're, you know, they're, they're working at nationwide children's hospital or they're working at whatever, you know, tax firm or whatever, and, and they're feeling the same pressure. Uh, what's the, what's the advice you give to them in, in navigating this, this cultural climate we're in right now? It's so not easy. You know, it's so not easy. If this is your job and you're absolutely dependent on this job, I had the luxury of building up to this point where I knew I was separating myself from my career in order to do this. And my husband and I planned for that on every level. Um, on every level, financially, all of it, yeah. we plan for it. Not everyone can do that. And so, you know, I met a nurse recently who was fired after 39 years because she refused to check a box that said, I admit I am inherently biased. Like she said, no, I'm not, I'm not checking that box. And I was like, just check the damn box, keep your job. And she's like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to say this about myself because it's not true. 
she got fired. So I, I, it's crazy out there, but so maybe not within the confines of your corporate life or your, your job, but personally find like-minded individuals and build what I like to call a coalition of courage where you all know, and you can move in whatever steps, big or small toward a more common sense way of life. And somehow, whether it's representing yourselves at a school board meeting or a city council meeting or at the state house or wherever, or, or in your vote, you say to yourself, this, this doesn't feel right. I'm going to stand up for what I believe is really right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not an easy thing. I realize I do, but damn it, this is America and you're entitled to your opinion. You're entitled to speak your opinion. And I think people who get fired for that opinion have, have legal recourse. But again, yeah. that's not simple. That's not easy. It's, oh yeah, sure. Just sue them. Uh, yeah, yeah. How do I make the money to pay for that? You know, there, there are real logistical issues. And I think it's, I think it's damn criminal for someone to get fired for not admitting or not saying the right things. Jennifer Say, the former, you know, um, president of Levi's, she's a great case study in this. And if you don't know about her, check her out on Substack or on Twitter. Uh, you know, was tweeting things about we need kids back in school in San Francisco. She she no yeah. longer works for Levi's and, you know, but she is a very outspoken person, yeah. used to be a, a strong Democrat and is I wouldn't say she's a Republican, but she's smart and she knows what she's talking about. And she knows what she's believes in. And she took a major hit in order to speak up for kids and for all of this stuff that you, you mentioned having to do with COVID. And she's she's opened her eyes to a lot of other areas where People are trying to speak for her and, and she's saying, uh, no. Yeah, I think you nailed it with with the courage, right? You know, get a coalition of courage together um, for sure. And and people looking at you are definitely encouraged. Um, but what what would you say since you've kind of made that break? You've you know, you, you made that move to help. What is encouraging you? Like what what are you <laughs> seeing? I know you see a lot of dirt out here, but, but what are you seeing that's really encouraging to you right now? About our country. So after one of my appearances on The View, um, <laughs> <laughs> you we all get into, yeah, you know yeah. where I'm going here. I, I was I was really down. I was going to the airport to fly home from New York, and I thought, oh, my gosh. I I just I I felt like I didn't reveal my true self. I hid some th I held some things back. I was mad at myself for just sort of succumbing to that pressure on that show. Um, and then I got a direct message on Twitter from a guy and he said, hi, my name is whatever is, I'm not going to name him. Uh, I'm 29 year old gay man in Philadelphia and I love the view, but you just changed my mind about a number of topics and I'm so grateful for you. And I didn't really see it that way, but you helped me see it from a different point in a different perspective. And I'm sitting there in the airport almost crying because I, I felt such a connection with this person, joy that someone actually heard me and it it made them think. And so I think, okay, even if it, that's the only guy, <laughs> the only human I ever impact, at least I had the one. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, I do, I do get a lot of sustaining emails. Oh, I take a lot of crap on, on social media, but yeah. I don't read it. You get a choice. You can read it or you don't have to. And I choose not to. I choose to read the good stuff that keeps me buoyed. 
Um, I guess that's really it. I've got a great family that supports me and is encouraging this and a lot of good friends. And I, I just, I've got friends who want to move out of the United States because of the state we're in. And I can't do that because this is the greatest experiment the world has ever seen. Right. And yeah. we can't give up on it. And, and uh, there's something that's just telling me, don't give up on it. So um, I, that's the best way I can answer that question. That's great. Well, Michelle, just a few quick ones for you then as we as we wrap down here. Just be, And I, I got to say, this is taking a lot of restraint for me because I could just talk football with you all day. Uh, and, <laughs> we'll and do that another time. Stories. Exactly. But just, just a few quick ones. One, who was your favorite athlete to interview on the sidelines and, and in the, the meetings through the years? Oh, so Brett Favre was great. He would have talked for hours if you let him. Uh, Peyton Manning was fantastic. There are so many. Chris Jones of Kansas City Chiefs, uh, defensive uh, lineman. Uh, those are three that come to mind. Um, love Andy Reid, love Pat Mahomes. Oh my goodness, I know I'm forgetting a bunch of them, but yeah. some of them go way back. But um, it's just so many great people to talk to. Gronkowski. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's the the list is long, but um, those are a few that just jump right to the That's front good. of the line. Well, you said my favorite. I'm a big Packers fan, so that you know, to to that point, should Aaron Rodgers come back to the Packers next year? That's the should uh, the, should they it, bring him back? You know, it's going to be really interesting to follow what goes on here. I still think Aaron Rodgers is one of the best football players to ever put on an NFL uniform, and he is a great interview as well. He's become a friend of mine, um, uh, even since leaving the NFL. Uh, we we keep in touch, and I, and I adore him. Yeah. He is a controversial guy. He's that makes him interesting. He, he's he thinks for himself. I admire him. He's got courage in that way. Um, I don't know. I don't know if he can coexist with the organization the way it is right now. What a disappointing finish for them. What a disappointing season. Not what you expect from an Aaron Rodgers team. Uh, I still think he's got life in his arm, oh, and yeah. his legs, yeah. you know. Um, so I, I, I pity the Packers if they lose another one, but they could. Uh, that's right. Uh, so two last quick ones. One, could you ever actually get Chris Collinsworth to criticize the refs even privately? Because there were so many times I'd be oh, watching. Oh, hell yes. Game. Good. Hell yes. And, and I will say this too. I coined this phrase and he used it on the air once and I'm still going to take credit for it. The NFL uh, rule book is worse than the tax code. Like trying to read it and decipher it. Like even just what is a catch? You know, yeah, yes. Yeah. He has good. done it. He will continue to do it. Um, but really? I think everyone's really glad that all the networks now have involved a, a former referee in their broadcast yep. to say, here's what really happened. Like, yeah. It takes the pressure off the announcers and puts it on the, the guy who knows the rules the best. And then last but not least, for everyone who is you know wanting to get more from you, how can folks connect with you? How can folks find you? That you mentioned Sideline Sanity Podcast, but what else is there out uh, from from Michelle Tafoya? Oh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Getter. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Um, you can go to my website, michelletafoya.com, and it's Michelle with one L. Uh, you know, and and please, yeah, check out the podcast Sideline Sideline Sanity. Just download it. Did a great one today. Did one with John Stockton recently about COVID. He's got really interesting opinions about all this, and it got a ton of a ton of downloads. We're really excited about that one. So I would go check that one out. But um, I thank you for that opportunity because I really believe in this podcast. I'm working really hard at it. I'm talking to some really interesting people. It's not always Bob Costas and Tony Dungy and and John Stockton, but uh, some of the best interviews that I've done have been with people. You may never have heard of, and um, yeah. 
they are fascinating. So That's awesome. I, I really encourage people to check it out. I, I did have one more uh, because okay. you're in such an important state. Uh, is a run for office ever in your future? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? If uh, A few years ago, I might have said yes. Um, I was, I'm so disenchanted with mm. what's going on here in Minnesota that I, yeah. I just don't. I feel like I don't know if I could ever affect the kind of change that I would want to. And it's not even that drastic. It's just kind of like, let's support law enforcement. How about, and, and be economically smart. And um, I think, you know, I don't know that, I don't know that I'll be here permanently. So. Um, gotcha. Well, Columbus and Ohio is a great place. I'm just saying. Anyway, <laughs> My son is considering Ohio state. Hey, that's great. Wow. That's great. Go Bucks. <laughs> well, Michelle, we're so thankful for the time today. Maybe not all the Packers love that you're giving to Aaron. He's going to be impossible the rest of the afternoon. Thank but uh, yeah. we uh, we so appreciate your time. It's been great chatting with you. And we wish you all the best on sidelines. I appreciate and everything it. Else you've got going on. Anytime, you guys. What is a pleasure to talk to you. Well, thanks to all of our listeners for tuning into this episode of The Narrative with Michelle Tafoya, presented by CCV and produced by Wessler Media. If you found today's episode insightful, leave us a review or rating and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. We're your hosts, Mike Andrews, Aaron Bear, and David Mahan, and we'll see you next time on The Narrative.